This is episode 21 of Talking With, Brian Lamb's conversation with historian Richard Norton Smith. It starts after this. Uh, You talk about the attention span being shorter and shorter. President Trump will speak for an hour, hour and ten minutes. Yeah, but that's entertainment. That's not a speech. That's Why do you say that? Two different things. Um, Wouldn't the average person rather be entertained? Yes, the average person would rather be entertained. Oh, I don't even. I don't mean. No, the, no. The I you mean, and I no, wouldn't. No, I absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> um, I mean, on what average is, but uh, well, no, no, but but and, and there's nothing new about this. Um, Adway Stevenson, to cite the sainted Adway, uh, was forever being cut off. You're sainting him. Yes, my my saint Adway was forever being cut off in the middle of a television speech. Um, and it, and it wasn't that he was inept or amateurish. It's because he made the mistake of believing that people who were serious about democracy would want to listen for 30 minutes or 40 minutes to a candidate for president telling them honestly, substantively, what what he would do. Um, and and that's a long time ago. I mean, television from its infancy, forgive me, has distorted and redefined uh, American democracy. And on balance, I would say not for the better. And what we are living through now is inevitable. Donald Trump didn't create this situation. He simply exploited it. And, and, and rather skillfully, I must say. Um, but the fact is, the oldest, now becoming the oldest cliche in town, the reality show that is this presidency um, extends to public appearances where he plays a role. It's the equivalent of, <laughs> I suppose, you know, the old Friday night wrestling where you knew it was fake, you knew it was phony, you knew what you were seeing was not in any way authentic, but that that was part of the that was part of the entertainment, um, and Donald Trump is filling the role of the wrestler, um, uh, who's fixed the match. Go back to the Dill experience. How many years did you work for him? Well, you know that's there's no uh, there's a beginning, but there's no easy end because um, I actually I only been there a year and a half before I went to Rochester to write the Dewey book. However, I remained very, very modestly on the payroll as a consultant. So even while I was in Rochester, you know, I would write occasional speeches. Then I came back and, um, well, see, no, I got up there in the mid-80. Yeah, mid-80, came back mid-81. Came back, um, resumed writing for him, um, but also had some other... I wrote for Olympia Snow, congresswoman from Maine, someone for whom I had and have great admiration. Um, I wrote, and then I said for Pete Wilson, um, who was a moderate Republican from California uh, before he ran for governor. Um, but all the time, I was still on call. Plus, remember, Mrs... 
had become a public figure. She worked in the Reagan White House, first as a director of public liaison, and then as Secretary of Transportation. And so throughout the 80s, I was writing for her as well. So I was, I had no formal contractual attachment, but the fact was I was on call to, uh, to either one of them. And that in turn led to their request that I work with them on their uh, joint autobiography. But taking the next step, yeah. the, the, how did you get involved in building the Dole Center? Well, and when, the, what year was that? Yeah. The, let, me, let me pause for a minute because give you an example of how what I was doing late. Richard Nixon died in 1994, in April of 94. Mrs. Nixon had passed away the previous June. Bob Dole was a eulogist at both services. I was pressed into service on both speeches. So, you know, as late as, and, and even, even later on. As long as Dole gave speeches, actually, um, and it's not, I think, letting the cat out of the bag. Uh, recently, uh, uh, when he received the gold medal, from from Congress, and um, uh, he asked Mrs. Dole to read a statement. Well, I you know had a hand in that, and so you know, I, so I guess you could say I keep my hand in. But but in between, um, I was approached. The Dole Institute was just in the conceptual stage. Remember, he left the Senate in '96 to run his campaign for president. And afterwards, um, he'd been approached by the University of Kansas about donating his papers. Anyway, one, one thing led to another. And, and a very prominent um, political scientist by the name of Burnett Loomis, well-known, um, prolific, um, and a good guy, uh, who happened to be a Democrat, but that was irrelevant, uh, who was the... Uh, the the initial director during this conceptual phase, um, but I think there was a sense that Dole would want, you know, his person to to carry it forward, to to build a building, to begin to, you know, program the place and so forth and so on. So anyway, I uh, um, they they asked me, the university asked me, he he had asked me, and. Um, I said yes, and that was 2001, late in 2001. I had finished five and a half years at the Ford Library and felt, you know, pretty much that I'd done what I was, at least what was creative. I could, I could never be a caretaker, I, and, and I'm not putting down caretakers. You know, they serve very important functions. But um, one reason people look at the resume and it's, you know, I ran six institutions in 19 years. Um, and that was Reagan, Ford, uh, Hoover, Dole. Eisenhower, Reagan, Ford, Lincoln, Dole, Lincoln. And, you know, I, I look back and I say, you know, I don't look back a lot, but. Uh, you know, of course, the first thing you wait did the time go, but um, I can't believe I, <laughs> I can't believe I ate the whole thing, um, and I learned a lot. 
and I um, I'm glad I did it. Um, and there's certainly no value in even if I had regrets and in pining away for a different course. It's funny, I look back now, it's funny how your life does compartmentalize. Uh, I mean, there was this speech writing phase, which kind of morphed into the libraries, you know, and then um, after, well, I left Lincoln in 2006, came back here, and as you know, um, sort of cobbled together um, teaching at George Mason and some work here at C-SPAN on some long-form series and uh, and and worked and worked and worked on the Rockefeller. Um, so, I, I can't complain. Let me go to a completely different subject because it happens to be in the news as we're talking on the, when we're recording this, but I've heard you over the years talk about the popes. Oh, yeah. I, I told you, I have Catholic friends who tell me I'm a better Catholic than they are. I think they're mistaking a, a passionate interest in the history of the church with an ability to conform to the theological demands of, of the faith. But, yeah, the papacy as well, the monarchy in England... And the papacy in Rome have, have fascinated me alike. Let me ask you this. Okay. Yeah. Um, and this may be too personal. How religious are you? Um, I would say, by most standards, not particularly observant. And I'm not going to take refuge in that old, well, I don't go to church, but I'm spiritual routine. I mean, fine, if that's, <laughs> if, if that's what you want, yeah, fine. By the way, what does that mean? It doesn't mean a damn thing. <laughs> I mean, well, look, I'm sure there are people who it does mean something to, so I don't mean to dismiss. But to me, it's it's kind of a, you know. But what do you think it means when somebody says, I'm spiritual? What it means is I, I don't agree or I can't accept the discipline of the institutional. Uh, I, 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 I can't accept institutional religion whatever that is, the dictates of a church. But, and I, and, I, and I don't want, you know, it's the old notion of smorgasbord Catholicism. You know, you, you take this from plate A and this from plate B, and you, you make up your own. That's what it means. It means I, I've, I've withdrawn from the institutional church because for whatever reason, I find it. But where are you? And oh, I'm a religion of one. Um, I am intrinsically and intellectually. So that's part of the problem. I, religion for me is, is more intellectual. Um, I'm, I'm not by nature. Um, well, I, I, the New Englander in me, you know, <laughs> is drawn to kind of the Emersonian, almost pantheism, the religion of the individual, if you will. Um, Unitarianism is, 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 is appealing. Um, Do you expect... Because be- it's rational. And, I, I mean, I, ha- I have a problem with miracles. 
I must say. And, and, and of course, all you need is faith to, to accept miracles. And so I guess, you know, where do you think you'll go when you die? Uh, into the ground. Is it over? I think so. And I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm reluctant to say that. Um, not not just because we're having a public conversation, but because, you know, you, that's not an issue that you you like to confront. But if you are honest, I mean, honesty is hard. You know, truth is. And everyone, and again, I'm not saying I'm monopoly on truth. I'm, I'm, everyone has their own truth. The pursuit of truth is is hard. I mean, it's it's clean, but it's it's hard. And th- there are a few things harder than coming to terms with one's own mortality. And the fact that um, not only that, in a curious way, the downside of being historically minded. And, and even biographically inclined is the perspective that you get. And I don't mean to sound <laughs> a downer, but w- when you realize in the larger scheme of things how utterly insignificant most lives are, including your own, and how short will be the shelf life of memory, um, and 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 that I, I I suppose it's easier to say that if you don't have children to carry on your name. Although frankly, you know, um, <laughs> they, I, I I think, um, and it's a kind of vanity to believe otherwise. To think that um, to think that people are going to go to the cemetery and visit your grave. I mean, this is you well. Know, you did. This is I know, but I'm not like most people. Um, that, you know, um, but 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 to believe that you have an a, either an active, an afterlife, as traditional religion defines, um, or the secular replacement which is a kind of fame or celebrity or notoriety or something that that will draw people to an awareness of your existence after you exist. I find very little evidence to support either picture. All right, back to the popes. Which, by, by the way, so the closest thing and this is a form of vanity, but I mean, the closest thing to um, not immortality, because that doesn't exist, um, but a book. There are some books that live on, that have a useful lifespan, which is longer than that of their authors. So, The Popes. Yeah, well... I remember Pius the Twelfth, whose autograph I have displayed on my wall, right between Douglas MacArthur and uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, 
I remember vividly, actually, John the Twenty Third, um, who died in nineteen sixty-three when I was nine, and I remember the, the and I remember being caught up in the conclave. I thought this was talk about romance. I mean, the this was this was um, fascinating process where all of these people gathered in this sealed room and you waited for the smoke. You know, and I didn't know much more than that. But, I mean, I was handicapping the contenders. And then, of course, in 78, um, the famous year of three popes, um, I I actually had guessed on Luciani, the, 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 uh, the Cardinal of Venice, Albino Luciani, the greatest pope we never got to experience beyond 33 days. Um, in a lot of ways, Luciani uh, was a, a, a foretaste of Francis. Very, very much so in terms of style and temperament and outlook and, and uh, even the smile. You know, as a smiling pope. And, um, and then the, the long papacy of, of John Paul II, who um, was immediately recognized as John Paul the Great. And I understand historically, um, you know, certainly his role in the geopolitics of the time. I do think, and now we're on thin ice, but I do think there may be some, at least, who who believe that the church was a bit hasty in canonizing him, in declaring him a saint, given what we don't know at this point about the scandals in the church, and 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 I and let me put that in context. Um, the tragedy, I think, just as an outside observer, was uh, the, the the Pope John Paul II was was an old man, a sick man, um, during the last years of his pontificate, and I think, you know. While my theology might differ a bit from Benedict's, I have great admiration for the courage that it took for him to, in effect, buck half a millennium of church history and say, in effect, that I don't think I am up to this job. I mean, physically up to his job and um, turn it over to someone else drop back from this though and what 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 has drawn you to even as a non-catholic being even interested in the church and how far back do you go well the church the church it, it just interests me i mean i think the medieval church i mean the you know the saving grace of the middle ages the only claims to organized civilization really were because of the church um and um uh, after all, famously, you know, it was monks in the European um, abbeys who preserved civilization by jotting it down. Um, uh, you know, we, we all, I mean, civilization, the light almost went out during hundreds of years. And to the effect that it didn't at all, it was, it was largely due to the church. Uh, now, on the other hand, you know, that came at a price. 
um, the church dictated one's belief. It, it, it dictated, the, in many ways, the shape of one's life. Um, it, um, stained glass is gorgeous to look at, but it was designed for an illiterate laity. It told stories. Um, you know, it had never been subjected to modern science. But we go to cathedrals and we marvel at the artistry. So, I mean, it's a mixed bag. Um, the thing I find so sympathetic I mean, with the modern pope, with the, with the current pope, is his willingness to criticize from within the sin of clericalism, which is, you know, I think a fancy word for careerism. There's, there is, unfortunately, I mean, the famous act, axiom about power corrupting. Power corrupts in whatever institution. But think about adding to the normal temptations the presumption of divinity. Richard Norton Smith is an American historian and author. You can listen to more interviews with him by searching his name in the video library at cspan.org.